0: Hello, I hope you've had a good week. Um, On Tuesday, um, Joshua and I celebrated our joint birthday with some chocolate cake, so it was a good week. I um, thank you for all your kind wishes, by the way, and I plan on claiming all my virtual hugs one day. Last time I preached, I left you with a challenge to spend some time in solitude as well as some time with community, and I hope you've had a chance to do that. If not, this afternoon, hopefully you can have some quiet time to spend with God. And then at 8.30 p.m. tonight... Join us on Zoom uh, to do some online Pictionary together. Um, I want to see your best drawing skills come to life. Um, it'll be the same Zoom link as the one that we use for sharing after the sermon. So um, if you don't know what that is, just message us on Facebook and we'll get the password and the link to you. Roy's been doing. Uh, Roy has started a new series on the further the spirit. Um, he's going to continue to do that when he preaches. But I'm doing a new series uh, when I preach on influential Christians, um, inspiring Christians um, over the, over time, and um, it's kind of a spinoff from my prison writings series, um, which um, really got me thinking about all the amazing Christians in history who. Um, have left us a legacy that we can be inspired by and that we can follow and that we can have our own uh stories by. And so today uh, I'm I'm starting that new series on Christian inspiring Christians. And I want to share today about an incredible Christian woman. During her lifetime, she wrote more than uh five thousand periodical uh periodical articles and forty books. Compilations from her 50,000 pages of manuscripts continue to be published today. In fact, she's the most translated female nonfiction writer in the entire history of literature and the most translated nonfiction American author of either gender. So that's a pretty impressive um, title to hold. Her writings cover a broad range of subjects, including religion, education, prophecy, publishing, health, Marriage, parenting, social reforms, history, management, etc. Her most well-known book, uh, "Steps to Christ," is one of the most translated books in the world, published in more than 140 languages. And some of her other popular books are "Desire of Ages," "Great Controversy," Ministry of Healing," and "Education." Her name was Ellen Gold White. Now, Ellen was born on November 26, 1827, along with her twin sister, Elizabeth, to Robert and Eunice Harmon in Maine uh, of the United States. To give you some historical context, it's the same year that Beethoven died, and it was when uh, Charles Dickens was 15 years old. Now, when she was nine years old, on her way home from school, she was sever- severely injured when um, a classmate threw this huge rock at her, and um, Ellen was walking, and she turned around, and the rock hit her right on her face, um, and it knocked her unconscious for three weeks. Um, she lost a lot of blood, and as a result, um, her family thought she was going to die. And for the rest of her life, she suffered um, complications um, from, from that incident. And so because of that, she couldn't um, continue her formal schooling. And so at the age of nine, she was homeschooled. But that experience led Ellen to cling closer to God. You know, during, she thought she was going to die. And so she wanted to be ready to meet God. And so she, she was someone from, who from a very young age cared very much, um, about her relationship with God and about loving God and learning about him. But the problem was that, you know, she would go to church and she would hear these sermons about, about hell and about eternal punishment. And it scared her so much, um, that she was in fear of God. And she finally confessed this to her mom, who suggested to her, hey, why don't you go talk to this, um, other pastor? So not, not of her church, but this other past, young pastor, um, and she said, why don't you go talk to him? And so Ellen went, you know, this young lady went to talk to this pastor about her fears about God and how she was afraid of death and she was afraid of, of judgment. And the pastor was able to show her through the Bible how God is a God of mercy, how God is a God of love, and how he cares for us, and how, um, you know, it's through that loving relationship that we get to meet him. And so because of that experience, Ellen finally um, got, was able to release her fears, and she was able to start this wonderful relationship with God where Jesus became her personal friend. On June 26, 1842, at the age of 14, she was baptized into the Methodist church. Now, shortly thereafter, Shanner family um family heard the sermons by William Miller, who was a man who had studied the books of Daniel Revelation for many years and had seen through the prophecies, um, especially in Daniel chapter 8 and 9, that there was this 2,300-day uh, prophecy. And he studied it and researched it and calculated and came to the conclusion that in 1844, Jesus was going to come back. Now, his studies and his presentations were, were very compelling. And so uh, Bible students would read and follow along, and they were convinced, yeah, the 2,300-day prophecy does end in 1844. And it says in Daniel that um, after those, that time period, the sanctuary will be cleansed. And so they thought that meant that Jesus was going to come back on October 22nd, 1844. Ellen and her family were very faithful Christians, and they, and they saw the Bible, and they read that prophecy, and they said, we believe this. Now, the denomination that they belonged to was not very happy about that. And so they kicked them out. And um, along with all the other kind of Advent believers were kicked out of their churches. And so they would gather together and pray and, and study and were excited for the day when Jesus would come back. Now, of course, October 22nd came and went and Jesus did not come. And these group of believers were so disappointed, so upset, so sad, because they were so looking forward to seeing Jesus. And as they wept, some people said, Forget this, I'm 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 not following this anymore. And they and they left. Others just kept sending more dates. But then there was another group who said, Okay, where do we go wrong? Let's go back to the Bible and study for ourselves. Let's go back and pray for God to, to help us understand. And one of those uh, was Ellen. So they would pray, they would study, and they would plead for God to show them wisdom. And he did. And he showed them how the 2,300-day prophecy and of 1844, it wasn't that they were incorrect about that, but they were incorrect about the event. They thought the sanctuary being cleansed meant Jesus was coming back. But the sanctuary being cleansed was actually referring to another event of Jesus doing something new, different in heaven um, in preparation for his coming. And so once they realized this, then they were like, well, now we know that Jesus isn't coming, you know, as soon as we thought. And so Jesus is going to come at some point, but we don't know when. And so what do we do now? What is our role now? And, and how do we move forward from there? As they were continuing to pray together and as they were continuing to grapple with this, uh, one morning late in December of 1844, as Ellen was having a prayer and Bible study with four other women, she received a vision of the Advent believers traveling to heaven on a straight and narrow path. And of course, this was a metaphor and she saw this kind of metaphoric journey taking place. And it was a very difficult and narrow path and some wanted to give up. But in her vision, Jesus encouraged the travelers and and he said, keep your eyes fixed on me. My grace is sufficient for you. And she saw that the perseverance of the followers would be rewarded at last at the second coming of Jesus, that at that time, when he comes again, the graves will be opened up and that they will be resurrected to be reunited with their loved ones. This vision was later studied and painted by Alfred Lee. um, And that was the mural that you saw on the screen. Ellen was only 17 years old at this time when she received this vision, and she was a very shy person. And she didn't want to, to share with everyone what she saw, but God was convicting her to share this message of hope to the other Advent believers, not to give up, but to con- continue to work and persevere to prepare people for his coming. And of course, you know, when she saw that vision, she realized that it wasn't going to be soon necessarily, but in one day, um, you know, they will die that they'll be resurrected. But the important thing was to know that in their lifetime, their job and their mission was to faithfully serve him by letting the good news of Jesus um, be spread to all the world. So she started sharing her news, she started sharing what God was um, giving, you know, relating to her. And for the next 70 years, Ellen received over 2,000 visions and dreams. Now to us, living in 2020, that sounds very strange. Um, But if you think about it, that has always been the way that God has communicated with his people throughout time, especially when he's about to do something big. For example, before he sent... um, the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, and and brought them into a new land as a new nation. He sent Moses to be a prophet for them. And he spoke to Moses. Before Jesus came, he sent John the Baptist. And before uh, his second coming, it makes sense that he would send another prophet. God said this um, over 3,500 years ago. He said, when there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions, and I speak to them in dreams. So this is how God speaks to his messengers. Uh, prophet doesn't necessarily mean that they're you know, predicting the future. A prophet simply was a messenger of the Lord. God would reveal to them uh, what he wants in visions and dreams, and then it was their job to relate that to the rest of the people. For example, Daniel, who was a Hebrew official um, in the Babylonian Empire, God said this about him. He said to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. In fact, even after Jesus's uh, ministry here on earth, when he resurrected and went back to heaven, the disciples, the apostles that carried on the work of Jesus also received visions and dreams. For example, um, Paul would receive visions of where to go next in his missionary journey. Peter was shown visions of how he shouldn't be so prejudiced against non-Jews. John was given visions of um, the, the future end times, which became the book of Revelation. And Peter actually said this um, about visions. Quoting the prophet Joel, this is what he said. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders... Um, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So this is uh, Peter who's quoting, actually, a passage in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32, how how in the end days, right, in the last days. And in Daniel Revelation, the prophecy, the 2300-year prophecy was talking about the last days. He says, in that time, he will send um, his spirit on men and women, on, on sons and daughters to prophesy, to have visions and have dreams. In fact, the gift of prophecy is one of the gifts of the of the, of the the church. Um, and so in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, Paul says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So sometimes Ellen would receive this panoramic kind of visions of the past, of the present, and of the future. Um, Sometimes she was shown what God was doing behind the scenes in certain events, or even in certain individuals' lives. Sometimes she was given principles of health, education, and social reform. For example, in 1848, Ellen uh, received a vision about the dangers of tobacco and other stimulants. Now doctors in her time were actually promoting and prescribing smoking to help you breathe better. Um, and it wasn't until the mid 1950s, almost a 100 years um, after Ellen White shared that tobacco was harmful for you. It wasn't until 100 years later that medical science confirmed that tobacco indeed is harmful for you. In 1863, Ellen received a longer vision on, on health about how to maximize wellness by getting by getting adequate sunlight, getting fresh air, um, drinking plenty of water, exercising, and eating a diet of fresh vegetables, fruits, nuts, and whole grains. Not to us living in 2020, that sounds yeah you know, like common sense. But in the 1800s. That actually sounded crazy. You know, doctors actually believed, you know, that night air was dangerous. They would close all the windows, you know. Um, it was in the 1800s that some doctors were still practicing, you know, bleeding and leeching and, um, medical science, um, and, and, and health practices back then were very limited and, um, very misinformed. They would even use cocaine drops on children for toothaches because they thought it, you know, made them feel better. And so, to, to, to have this young lady um, say to everyone, hey, you know, stimulants and, and um, tobacco and alcohol and caffeine are bad for you, while everybody else was, was being prescribed those as medicine, um, it sounded crazy to them. But it's another evidence for us that she really was inspired by God. To those who believed in her role as God's messenger, uh, put those health principles in place, and as a result, they were able to live healthier lives. You know, in 2005, Dan Buettner wrote um, a National Geographic magazine cover story entitled The Secrets of a Long Life. And Dan um, identified five regions around the world as blue zones, where people live much longer than the average and they suffer less from degenerative disease, diseases. And one of those five regions was Loma Linda, California, where a community of about 9,000 Adventists live as much as 10 years longer than the average person. Now, Dan attributed this uh, to the fact that these Adventists followed, and he, and he quotes this, he says, hey, they follow the counsels of a woman named Ellen White, who, you know, in the 1800s um, advised that the Adventists don't smoke, don't drink alcohol, um, that they exercise and eat a plant-based diet. He also talked about how Adventists find a sanctuary in time, a weekly Sabbath, a 24-hour break from the rigors of life to focus on God, family, friends, and nature. He has since written a book um, on these blue zones, and he continues to do research on longevity and health. Now, I, for one, definitely need to put more of these health principles um, to practice. But the important thing to realize is that the goal is not perfection, but progress. You know, the principles and messages that Ellen White shared uh, were not for us to feel bad about, but for us to just be informed so that we can make better choices. For example, Mrs. White received the vision about, you know, eating a plant-based diet back in 1863, but it wasn't until 1894, so nearly 30 years later, that she became completely vegetarian herself. And so it's important to realize that, um, that there's principles and then there's the practical application that sometimes takes time. And um, the important thing is that we're willing to to be educated, to be informed about what is best and what God's um, ideal plan for us is, and to, and to then, you know, obey the Holy Spirit in prompting us to grow into um, a person who is willing to put our whole lives in the authority of, of God. When you read um, the biography of Ellen White, the personal letters that she wrote between herself and her friends, and the stories of those friends who knew her personally, you see a woman who was quite moderate, balanced, and practical. Um, She had a great sense of humor. She was warm and kind. People said that happiness just radiated from her, and children loved to be near her. And so I want you to keep that kind of picture of her in your mind. Um, as as you read her, her writings. Sometimes I think, you know, we see those pictures. Um, and, you know, back then in the 1800s, they didn't smile for, for photos. So we see these pictures of Ellen White where she's not smiling, and we think she was a stern person. But those who knew her said she was always smiling, always laughing. James, her husband of 35 years, said right before he died that Ellen was his crown of rejoicing. Ellen was his crown of rejoicing. And she loved him as well. Um, she said, he's the best man. When he died, she said, he's the best man that ever trod shoe, shoe leather. <laughs> in other words, she says, he was the best man that, um, that ever lived in her, in her mind. Um, she had met him when she was 18 years old while they were traveling together to share God's word. Um, you know, she was passionate about sharing about Jesus and he was passionate and they were working together and, and they fell in love and they were married a year later. But they weren't just a couple. They were ministry partners. Ellen preached, James preached. Ellen wrote, James wrote, and they traveled together all around the U.S. from the East Coast to the West Coast to preach and share God's word. Traveling by buggy, wagon, uh, train, boat, sleigh, right? Um, and, and can you imagine back then traveling um, in in those cold winter months in open buggy, you know, with with no uh, protection from the elements? They were really dedicated, um, as a team. And they had, um, children together, four children, actually. Um, sadly, two of them passed away. But sometimes, um, Ellen would take the children with her when she was traveling. But sometimes, like I shared, it was difficult to travel with young children because they would be exposed to elements and it would be very, um, you know, dangerous for them. So sometimes she did leave the children in, in the care of her friends while she went on these uh, ministry travels. One time as she spoke to a large audience, Some of the people began to smile as she was speaking, and she thought, I didn't say anything funny. I wonder why they're smiling. So she looked around, and she realized that behind her on the platform were um, some of the pastors who were part of the service, and one of those was her grown son, adult son, um, William, and he was sleeping. And uh, that's why the audience was smiling. And so she turned to the audience, smiled, and said, I hope you will not feel too bad about Willie sleeping while I'm preaching. He's tired, and besides, he has a- attended meetings with me in many places. In fact, Willie has been with me, going to meetings since he was a baby. I would take him to the platform in a little basket, and he would sleep while I preached. And as you can see, Willie has never quite overcome that habit. <laughs> you know, I like stories like this because I can relate to them. I remember... Um, You know, when I first came to Melbourne and, you know, um, I had Micah nine months later and, um, I remember actually going to preach at North Fitzroy Seventh-day Adventist Church, um, and if you remember, this is the church where we have our baptisms. And uh, this is where Andy, Cameron, Adam, Lily, and Niari got baptized last year. And the reason why we like going to this church to get baptized is one, because they have a fount, but also because this is actually the first Adventist church in Australia. It's a historic site. It's actually a Victorian um, heritage site. So they're not allowed to renovate, you know, and, and change a lot of things because it's a heritage site. And in fact, the furniture inside is still from the 1800s. And um Ellen White had actually traveled to Australia, and she had preached um, in North Fitzroy Seventh-day Adventist Church at that very wooden pulpit. And so I remember back in 2013 when I was preaching there, um, and Micah was sleeping in his little car seat in front of me. And um, I just felt so privileged to be able to be a woman in the 21st century doing what I did because of the example and the um, incredible um, leadership of Ellen White back in the 1800s. Now, Mrs. White was um, 65 years old when she made that long journey by boat to Australia in 1891, and she lived in Australia for nine years. The first two years, she lived in Melbourne. She hated the weather. As you can see outside your window, it's cold, it's raining, and, and um, she actually writes in her journal how bitterly cold the wind is in Melbourne, and um, it made her quite ill. In fact, she was quite miserable um, her first year in Melbourne. Another thing that I could really relate to, because I was really ill my first year in Melbourne as well, and she wrote this in her journal, during the period I experienced the most terrible suffering of my whole life. I was unable to lift my feet from the floor without suffering great pain. My right arm from the elbow down was the only part of my body that was free from pain. My hips and my spine were in constant pain. I could not lie on my cot for more than two hours at a time, though I had rubber cushions under me. I would drag myself to a similar bed to change my position, and thus the nights passed. Physicians said I would never be able to walk again, and I had fears that my life was to be a perpetual conflict with suffering. When I first found myself in a state of helplessness, I deeply regretted having crossed the broad waters. Why was I not in America? Why at such expense was I in this country? Time and again, I could have buried my face in the bed quilts and had a good cry. So you can really tell she was miserable here in Melbourne. Um, you know, cause she came in, in right around that winter time and, and then was, you know, so ill and was in so much pain. And of course she was so separated, you know, so far away from all her loved ones back in the U.S. But during those painful and dark moments, she grew closer to God. And she writes this in the journal. During my wakeful hours, I have sought the Lord most earnestly, asking him to join my weakness to his strength, my ignorance to his wisdom my unworthiness to his merit, my frailty to his enduring might, my poverty to his boundless wealth. When the affliction under which I have been suffering for several months came upon me, I was surprised that it was not removed at once in answer to prayer. But the promise, my grace is sufficient, has been fulfilled in my case. There can be no doubt on my part. My hours of pain have been hours of prayer, for I've known to whom to take my sorrows. I had the privilege of reinforcing my feeble strength by laying hold upon infinite power. By day and night, I stand on the solid rock of God's promises. And so it was that Despite her pain, it was actually during those painful days and nights that Ellen White penned the words um, to the book Desire of Ages, which is actually one of my favorite books um, about the book The Life of Jesus that has inspired thousands of people, including me. I first read the book Desire of Ages when I was 14 years old. Um, you know, my family, ever since I was young, pretty much as soon as I knew how to read and write, um, we would read through the entire Bible from cover to cover every year. So, um, I think by the age of 12, I had read the Bible cover to cover at least five times together with my family, but you know, I was young and, I, and, and, and the Bible is, is has 66 books. And it was hard for me to understand and grasp the central themes and to be able to really see a composite picture of God. Well, when I was 14, it was my summer holidays and I was about to start high school, but I was too young to have a summer job. And so, being the super nerd that I was, I decided to read through the entire Conflict of Ages series, which, um, it's basically the five books that Ellen White wrote that details like the history of the world from, um, you know, when, when, when God and Satan, um, Started the conflict where where Lucifer rebelled in heaven, and it goes through the fall of humanity. It goes through all the stories of the of the Bible, including the life of Jesus, um, what happened after he died and resurrected, all the works of the apostles, and Christian history up you know through the Protestant Reformation, all the way up up until the Last Day events, Jesus the Second Coming. Um, the final end of Satan and the restoration of heaven and earth. So it goes through the whole history of, of, of humanity and the world. Um, over 858 pages. And so I had decided that summer, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through these. And so I did one by one and Desire of Ages was my favorite because it's the third book in the series and it talks about Jesus. It talks about how his incredible love for humankind, how he cared for each and every one. And uh, I remember in particular this one line where, um, you know, it was talking about the story of how Peter was walking on water because Jesus enabled him to do so. But then the winds and the waves come and Peter gets afraid and he doubts and he starts sinking. And then he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately comes and saves him. And, and, and Ellen White says, any cry of anyone saying, Lord, save me, has never been unanswered. And I remember, you know, when I was 14, reading that and realizing this is who God is, right? This is the God of mercy who anytime I say, Lord, save me, it doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter if it's my fault. It doesn't matter how many times I've fallen. Anytime I say, Lord, save me, he will always answer that prayer. He will always come to our rescue. And so I really fell in love with Jesus um, by reading Desire of Ages, which, which pointed me to Jesus, which pointed me to the Bible, And so I still go back and reread her books. And she, you know, also, Ellen also um, always, you know, sorry, losing my words today. Ellen um, always exhorted people to to point um, people to Jesus and the Bible. She always said, you know, I'm just a little lesser light pointing to the great light of the Bible and to Jesus. And so that's how we are supposed to read her. Um, It's something that leads us to the Bible and leads us to Jesus, which is really the source um, of all our truth and inspiration. She's often misunderstood and misquoted, but to me, she's an inspiration. She was a a pioneer. She was an absolute legend who led a movement during a time when women were not allowed to have a voice. I mean, this is the 1800s. This was a time when, and women's, you know, place was considered to be in the home. Um, and even the fact that she would go up and preach from the pulpit in the 1800s, she was often criticized. Um, she faced a lot of, um, you know, ridicule and mocking and opposition, but she led with courage and with conviction. Um, And she led, you know, in such a powerful way that she, along with the others, founded a new movement, a new denomination called the Seventh-day Adventists. She challenged the status quo, and she invited critical thinking and committed growing. One of my favorite quotes from her is this article that she wrote while she was living here in Melbourne in 1892. Uh, By the way, this is a picture of her um, and the book, Desire of Ages, the original. This is the quote um, that she wrote. There is no excuse for anyone in taking the position that there is no more truth to be revealed and that all our exposition of scripture are without an error. The fact that certain doctrines have been held as truth for many years by our people is not a proof that our ideas are infallible. Age will not make error into truth and truth can afford to be fair. No true doctrine will lose anything by close investigation. We are living in perilous times, and it does not become us to accept everything claimed to be truth without examining it thoroughly. Neither can we afford to reject anything that bears the fruits of the Spirit of God. But we should be teachable, meek, and lowly of heart. There are those who oppose everything that is not in accordance with their own ideas, and by so doing they endanger their eternal interests as verily as did the Jewish nation in their rejection of Christ." The Lord designs that our opinions be, shall be put to the test, that we may see the necessity of closely examining the living oracles to see whether or not we are in the faith. Many who claim to believe the truth have settled down at their ease, saying, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. But Jesus says to these self-complacent ones, thou knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Let us individually inquire. Do these words describe my case? If so, the true witness counsels us, saying, Buy of me gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye self, that thou mayest see. This Idea that she espoused, right? This idea that truth can afford to be fair, that truth, truth does not lose out by close investigation and examination, because if that were the case, it would not be truth. She says, you know, be critical thinkers, um, be willing to question, right? Be willing to engage and, 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 and realize that sometimes you have to let go of something that you believed in, um, To embrace this present truth, this new light. And this is a pivotal principle for us here at MCAC, um, that where we, when we were in the beginning in 2012, trying to figure out what kind of a church we wanted to have, you know, this was one of our key core values was that we wanted to be able to have a space where people could ask critical questions and that there might not always be easy answers, but that we are willing to engage and dialogue and, um, and and consider the fact that we might be wrong and that there's always new things to learn from each other and from the Bible. And that's why we have our church service first um, with the sermon and then we have our uh, smaller group discussion time where there are questions that um, teams write up that um, aren't always easy answers, that aren't always black and white and we ask those on purpose because we want everyone to leave critically engaging with the text and being able to be convicted in their own minds of what God is revealing to them. Ellen White and her husband, um, James, passionately advocated this present truth, this constant studying and following the voice of God to learn and grow as individuals and as a church community. So it's been 105 years since um, Ellen White's death, but her legacy lives on. It lives on in in the more than 21 million Seventh-day Adventists around the world who benefit from her counsels and insights. She was one of the co-founders, like I said, of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, of which we are a part. Um, our church is one of the 161,561 congregations around the world. Her legacy lives on in the nearly 10,000 schools around the world that educate more than 1.8 million children and young adults, including 118 tertiary institutions. Mrs. White had actively championed and personally funded many of these Adventist schools lives on in the 22 food industries around the world that manufacture plant-based products such as Wheat by Sanitarium. It lives on in the 211 hospitals and sanitariums around the world, hundreds of aged care facilities, orphanages, and other care facilities established by the health and social reform visions of Ellen White. It lives on in the over 220 countries where ADRA, the Adventist Development and Relief Agency, works tirelessly to provide help to individuals and communities affected by natural disasters, war, and poverty. ADRA here in Victoria has been providing care packages to vulnerable uh, individuals throughout this pandemic. Um, they minister to the homeless, to the disadvantaged victims of bushfires, domestic violence, and more. Her legacy lives on in the over 50 publishing houses and branches around the world that print books and periodicals um, sharing the good news that Jesus loves us and is coming again. And Kim works at the one in Warburton. And it lives on in the lives of individuals who have come to know and love Jesus as a result of her writings. If you want to learn more about her or if you want to read any of her writings, all of her books are available online for free at whiteestate.org in 133 languages. Um, And there's also a free app called EGW Writings that's available on Google Play as well as the App Store. And it has all her books. Um, And in fact, If you want, she also had on the website and app, there's also a modern English section because, you know, she wrote in the 1800s. So there's a lot of these and those and old language. And so if you want to read it in modern uh, English, they have those versions online as well. And Desire of Ages is called The Humble Hero. Steps to Christ is called Steps to Jesus. um, And you can read those for yourself. We also have print copies of the books um, at the church library. And so if you want to borrow any of them, please let us know. We're happy to drop them off for you. When you read these books, keep in mind, just like you read any book, um, the historical context of her time, you know, uh, of who she was writing to and, you know, the historical context will help you draw out principles that you can then apply to your own life. And I want you to remember the person behind the writing. She was an extraordinary woman who was only 158 centimeters tall, but she was a pillar of faith you know, from the age of 17 to the age of 87. So for 70 years, she served God with all her heart, mind, body, and strength. And I hope and pray that um, you also can experience a God who is so loving and so powerful that we too can follow God's call for our lives. And that as a result, we can experience the extreme um, joy and just the, the love and devotion that enables us to look forward to the day when Jesus comes again. So thank you all for joining us. And um, after the prayer, I hope you can join us for our Zoom sharing as well. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the life and ministry of Ellen White. Um, I think, I want to, we want to thank you for calling this young lady, Father. You could have called anyone else, um, but you chose this lady to be your vessel, to be your messenger. And Father, you have chosen many people um, in history, not necessarily because they were worth it, uh, not because they were the best, but because you knew they were willing to share. And I pray, Father God, that you would also um, call us to be faithful, that we would also be willing to obey you, that we would also be inspired by you to have courage and conviction to share the good news that you are coming soon, to be able to dedicate our lives to you, um, no matter how difficult no matter what the cost, to trust that you're with us and that you'll strengthen us along the journey. Father, you left us an incredible legacy through this one lady. And I just pray, Father, that we will be faithful to carry on the torch, to carry on this Advent movement, um, to prepare people to, to meet you by having a deep and loving relationship with you. And Father, I'm personally convicted that there are things in my life that need to change. And I just pray for your Holy Spirit to help, uh, enabling me and empowering me to make those changes. And for anyone else who's watching or listening, that your Holy Spirit would convict them of your incredible love and that your power would help them to make better choices in their lives. We pray in your son's name. Amen.